Hey guys, this is Pastor Sam. I wanted to drop you a quick note before our sermon audio today. Uh, we messed up the recording this last weekend, and normally we wouldn't even publish this because it doesn't sound all that great, but you guys know we're in the middle of a series on vision and kind of what Red Tree Church is called to, and we wanted to make sure you guys had access to this content. So we're going to go ahead and present this to you in the best form we have, even though it's not that great. Uh, and we'll also put some notes on the church blog, kind of summarizing some of the main points of the sermon. So uh, if, if you have trouble listening to this, go ahead and check out the blog in a couple days and see if you can find those notes there. But otherwise, uh, we hope this is a blessing to you guys. Right as well. Good morning. Um, excited to be here. This is a bit new for me. I'm preaching fairly soon after I just did, so uh, get to be up here again. It's exciting. Um, I'm uh, pretty nervous, like normal, but I'm also um, just so excited to be up here. I probably say that every time. But this morning is like special for me. I'm super excited because this topic this morning, community, is something that has just completely transformed my life. Um, and so I'm just really excited to be able to talk about it. And I hope that I can um, you know, accurately communicate what Scripture talks about when it talks about community. And um, because of, I'm excited about it, we might go a little long this morning. <laughs> because uh, there's a lot to say about community. So let's move quickly. Um, if you weren't here last week, you are stepping into something that, like Sam said, we are going through a vision series that we titled Old Roots. Um, we're looking at what the church is, what the church does, and specifically focused on us here at Red Tree Church. Last week we looked at how everything that we are and everything we do is completely centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of the church, and he is who we seek after as the church. He's why we exist. If you weren't here, it's critical that you go back and listen to that. It's posted online, and because everything else that we talk about in this vision series is wholly based on that message. Christ is the foundation, and everything else comes out of the fruit of abiding in the vine of Christ. So today we are going to talk about community. Community is one of those words that I think is a buzzword for church culture, especially right now in our context and in our religious circle. Um, and it's a word that's completely ingrained in our culture here at Red Tree Church because we just exist as a church that puts a high emphasis on community. And I just want to make sure that as we're talking through this this morning that we know what we're talking about. We're clear about what community is and what it does for us in our lives. So we're just going to start from the roots up, from the ground up. With uh, I hope that we can answer a couple questions this morning. We can talk about what community is, why we need it, uh, how we practice it, what specific idols it combats in our lives. And then I just want to get super specific and talk about how we practice community here, specifically at Red Tree Church. So if you guys want to turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have house Bibles on the end of every row. Um, you can just raise your hand and hopefully somebody at the end of your row will pass you one. Um, we say this every week, but if you don't own a Bible, please take that. 
we would love to get a copy of Scripture into your hands. Um, so Galatians 5, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Um, I actually, before we get there, I want to start, though, in the beginning. I want to go all the way back to creation, because community really starts at the beginning. So as you're turning to Galatians 5, I just want to talk a little bit about creation and how we see community work through creation. I love the creation story, the creation narrative. It shows a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and his love for us as he creates everything. So there's a couple things I want us to see from the creation narrative. You're probably familiar with it. Uh, we see God existing before anything. He exists in perfect community and harmony with himself as a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And then we see at the very beginning that he begins to create. We see that all three persons of the Trinity create in perfect harmony and community. They create together. And we see that throughout a succession of days, God creates everything from light all the way to animals. And then he gets to mankind. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see a beautiful overview of creation with mankind, where he does something that he hadn't done with the rest of creation. He makes man in his image, in his likeness. And I want us to see something important about the language that God uses when he does that. So we have God, the perfect being, triune, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, working in complete harmony, existing in perfect community, from eternity past, and he chooses to create mankind. And in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God refers to himself in his trinity here. All three of his persons are unified in their creation of mankind. He creates mankind in the image of that unity, that perfect community relationship. We were created to bear the image of God. And that image is God's community. Last week in talking about the all-sufficiency of Christ, Craig talked about how the sufficiency of Christ directly combats the idol of self-sufficiency and independence that we constantly face here in West County, America. We see here in Genesis that we were not created to be self-sufficient. We were actually created in the image of God to be created for community. Community with God and community with others. We see that in chapter 2, as we, as the writer of Genesis transitions from this overview, the large overview in chapter 1, to a more intimate look at the creation of mankind in chapter 2. We see God form Adam out of the dust of the ground. We see that he places him into the Garden of Eden, giving to Adam several different commands about how he's supposed to rule over and interact with God's creation. But what I want, to see, what I want us to see this morning is this. God starts creating. He creates everything. And day by day, he's creating and shaping the world into what he wants it to be. He creates life. He creates all of these different things. And each day, he ends by saying, it is good. Until he gets to mankind. He creates mankind. And we see in verse 18 of chapter 2, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This was the first time in creation that God said something was not good. He made man, 
and man alone was not good. Now, ignoring the many jokes that could be made about a guy by himself being not good, um, I just want us to see that God created mankind for community, and he created man not good by himself. He then created woman to be in community. Now, this passage is used a lot when talking about marriage and gender roles, and that's good, that's right, but it's not just about the specifics of marriage. It's also just about community in general, that man was created for community. Because we were created in his image to need community. Now, I want to make sure that you're not hearing that our need for community negates the all-sufficiency of Christ. Community apart from Jesus does not fulfill our needs. It's only Christian community that Jesus gives to us that meets our needs. Come on. We weren't just created to be in community with each other. We were created in God's image to join with him in community with each other. And actually, community is one of the primary ways that God chooses to show his love to us to interact with us, to show his person to us, is through Christian community. Last week, Craig talked a lot about the mission of Red Tree, that we exist to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is all about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The central figure of that is God, his glory, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what we see is that we want lives to be transformed by the gospel. And community is how that happens here at Red Tree. If you guys have seen our new logo, I hope you've seen the tagline that we put on there, Life Together with Jesus. We feel like that describes who we are as a church, that we live life with Jesus and we do it together. And that's community. And that's what we were created for. So go ahead and hopefully you're at Galatians 5. We're going to start in verse 13. We're just going to walk through uh, Galatians 5 and 6 a little bit. Uh, we're going to skip some large portions, not because they're not good, but just because they, we don't have time to go through everything. Um, but I want to start in verse 13, because Paul has some really important things to say about community. And I want us to see what community actually is and how we practice it through the words of Paul. So starting in verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul starts here with freedom. I love this, especially in our context here in America, because we're all about freedom, right? Freedom and independence. Um, but we see in Scripture, shortly after the creation story, that freedom actually is broken. We see that we screw up creation with our sin. Adam and Eve broke the perfect community that God had created by sin. They chose to attempt to be their own masters. They attempted to tell God they knew better than him what was good for them, and that they could effectively be their own masters. Due to that sin, humankind was enslaved to sin. We see that throughout Scripture. 
that we aren't really free. However, thank God, that is not the end of the story. We see that along comes Jesus Christ, who enters into our broken, sinful, slavery state and redeems us. He saves us from our sin. He breaks the chains of slavery that bind us, and he adopts us into his family, restoring us to the ability to be the image of God in community and giving us true freedom. Freedom from sin and death. But I think that we have freedom confused a lot of the time. We confuse the idea of freedom and independence. And I want us to make sure that we're clear on what Paul is saying here when he says that we have freedom. Remember Craig talked a lot about the idol of independence last week. Craig talked about how Christ is all-sufficient for us, that we are not independent. We should be fully dependent on Christ. We confuse freedom and independence, thinking that they're the same thing, that they're linked. I want us to make sure we know that they're not the same thing. Freedom means we are not forced to act in a certain way. Independence means that we are not dependent on anything. We are our own master. One of those is true. The other is an idol. Do you guys see the difference? Because of what Christ did for us, because of the all-sufficiency of Christ that Craig talked about last week, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer forced to operate in sin and selfishness. But that doesn't make us independent. Our freedom from sin doesn't make us our own master. In fact, that was the thing that led us into sin in the first place. Instead, our freedom allows us to choose to either walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And that is what Paul begins to talk about here. Now, that's a topic that that gets complicated, and I don't want us to get bogged down in that. We're going to skip that passage here in Galatians. But I want us to see that freedom plays into community here. Paul tells us, he says that we are free, and he immediately tells us that we are called to spend that freedom on each other. Jesus calls us to use our freedom that we have to choose to act on each other. Paul calls us back to the words of Jesus. He gave us the command. In John 13, Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he's going to be arrested and killed. And he tells them that he's giving them a new commandment, that they love one another. Just as he has loved them, they should love one another. And he says that that's how everyone everyone will know that they are the disciples of him, of Christ, because they love one another like Jesus loved them. That's the central point of why we focus so heavily on community here at Red Tree. We were created to model the image of God through our relationships with one another, through community. Adam and Eve broke that model, seeking to become their own masters through sin and seeking independence. But Jesus came and restored the image of God in creation. He restored us into community. He gave us the command to love one another like he loved us. That was community. He restored that. He gave us the ability to bear the image of God, to exist in community by loving one another. And the world knows that we're the disciples of Jesus because of that love when we operate in community. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives his disciples another command. He tells them to go into all the world and make disciples. These words disciple and community are intrinsically linked. 
Last week in Colossians 1, we saw that all things are about Jesus. All things were created for him. He's the central point of everything. As followers of Christ, we're called to be his disciples. And as his disciples, we are called to love each other. And because of that, the world will know that we are his disciples. You guys see the chain here. We focus on Christ, which draws us to operate in loving community. And that shows the love of Christ to the world. That's why we say here at Red Tree that our mission statement to glorify God by seeing lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is fulfilled in these three rhythms that we're talking about. Jesus, community, and mission. Community is extremely important to the life of a follower of Christ. It's so important that Jesus says in Matthew 22 that all of the law and the prophets, all of scripture is tied up in these two commands that he says are linked together. The Pharisees had gathered together and one of them asks Jesus a question trying to trap him. It says in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus says that the command to love your neighbor as yourself is linked to the command to love God. That our love for God, like he loves us, actually drives us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And he says that those two things are the fulfillment of the entirety of the commands in Scripture. He connects us following him as his disciples, loving Jesus, loving God, with loving each other. And we're called to love one another in a specific kind of way. One that gives up our freedom for each other, that spends our freedom on each other in humility and sacrifice. That's what we see modeled by Christ. In Philippians 2, we see that we're supposed to love one another like Christ loves us. And the love that we see Jesus has for us is modeled in humility and sacrifice. We see Paul makes the same connection here in Galatians. The freedom we spend on, the freedom we receive from Christ is meant to be spent on loving one another, not used on ourselves. The reason that this connection is made is wrapped up in who Christ is. He humbled himself. He loved sacrificially. He emptied himself for us. And we are called to do the same, to follow the example of Christ and love sacrificially. Now look, I'll be honest with you guys, that's difficult. Community is not easy. My wife, Julie, and I have been at Red Tree for a lot of years now, and we've been a part of a lot of different community. It's hard. It's painful. We've been hurt. Loving people sacrificially is painful. It can hurt. I'm sure that we've also hurt other people as they loved us sacrificially. But it's worth it. The joy and fulfillment that my wife and I have received from community is far greater than any hurt we may have received. Amen. The reason for that is because community is one of the primary ways that Jesus chooses to fill us up and interact with us, that he chooses to show his love. He does it through his people loving each other sacrificially. 
my wife and I have experienced Jesus more fully here in community than we ever have anywhere else. It's worth it. Paul goes on in verse 15 to warn us against what happens when we don't use our freedom for each other, when we don't love sacrificially. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. When Paul says bite and devour, he's telling us what will happen if we do not follow the model of Christ and love sacrificially. If our relationships are based on what we can gain from each other, what we can consume from each other, then we will have this issue that he talks about. And that's, that's the model of the relationship we see modeled for us a lot of time in the world. People have relationships that are based on what they can gain from each other. By contrast, Christ modeled for us that Christian relationships are born out of sacrificial love. What we can give to someone else, not what we can gain. How we can think of someone else before ourselves. Loving someone is to place their needs before your own. To count them as more important than yourself. If we don't do this, then Paul says that we will consume one another. We'll take and take and take from one another until there's nothing left to take. But Jesus models a different way. We give instead of take. And you might ask, how do we continuously give? I know I've heard before this idea that we can't just continually pour ourselves out, that we have to be also filled up, that we have to spend time on ourselves to fill our own needs. That's a, it's just wrong. It's a sneaky way that the idol of self-centeredness sneaks in. We can't focus on ourselves and try to fill our own needs. Like Christ said last week, Christ is all-sufficient for us. We have to be dependent on Him to meet our needs. doesn't mean that we will never have our needs met, that we will never receive anything from each other in community. But as Paul talks in this passage, continuing to talk about how we interact with each other, we see that the beauty of community, the beauty of Christ's command for us to love one another sacrificially, is that we're all thinking of each other instead of ourselves. We don't need to focus on filling ourselves up because we've got an entire group of people who are focused on that. Does that make sense? The idol of self-centeredness says that I need to focus on myself, that I need to make sure I get what I need. But that doesn't work. If I focus on myself, for one thing, that's only one person focusing on me. But for another, we see in our sin that it just doesn't work. We can't meet our own needs. Only Christ can meet our needs. If I'm dependent on Christ to meet my needs, and I love sacrificially like he says, then I will see this community of people form around me who will love me and pour into me. That will be a lot of different people pouring into us, not just ourselves. And that continues to reveal one of the important truths of community that I already said. This is one of the primary ways Jesus uses to meet our needs. It's just the upside-down nature of how Jesus works. <laughs> if we focus on our ourselves and try to meet our own needs, we fail. If we focus on others and love sacrificially and give generously, then we get filled up by Christ. So Paul continues in chapter 6. We're going to skip down to the very end of chapter 5. 
Paul talks about walking in flesh and walking in spirit, which is good, but it's uh, not what I want to focus on this morning. Skipping down to verse 25, Paul picks back up talking about community, saying, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So as we transition, I want to talk about what community actually looks like. What community looks like when we model it, and how we operate in community. And Paul, I hope you can see here that he continues to talk about how if we sow into each other, if we love each other, then we will reap good things. But if we sow into our flesh, if we sow into selfishness, we will reap corruption. As Paul begins to talk about what community looks like, he lists off some behaviors that build community. And I want us to walk through three main behaviors that I see here that Paul highlights in this passage that show us things that build community, what community looks like. These three things are open and honest invitation, bearing each other's burdens, and seeing each other as family. Paul starts off in chapter 6 by talking about rebuke, by talking about repentance and confession. These are some of the most difficult things to do in community. It's hard to hear someone rebuke you for your sin. It's hard to open up and repent and confess of your sin. But these are also some of the most life-giving things that we can do in community. We see Paul gives some cautions here. In chapter 5, verse 26, he says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says that people who are spiritual should restore their brothers in the spirit of gentleness. As long as we are operating in this mindset of not being focused on ourselves, not being conceited, not provoking one another, and we are gentle, then rebuke actually can be a beautiful experience in community. I've found, personally in my own life, when people have rebuked me, that it can be extremely life-giving. But all three of these things, rebuke, repentance, confession, they require an openness, an honest invitation to others to speak into our life. And that's how a deep community relationship is built. By being open, transparent, by inviting others to speak into your life. Repentance and confession are the same way. They can be difficult. It can be difficult to bear your soul, to speak about your idols, like Justin was saying earlier, to share the difficult things that you go through. 
It requires openness and honesty. It's vulnerable. But when we are operating in true community, when we are loving each other sacrificially, then we can have that kind of open vulnerability because we can know that the people around us are fellow ambassadors of reconciliation. That they are going to love us sacrificially. They are going to seek our reconciliation with Christ. That they're going to gospel us through our sin. And that's one of the main things that community is built by, is that open and transparent invitation. We're going to just fire through these really quick because uh, we're running out of time. But Paul also calls us to bear one another's burdens. There's something just that's just raw and very Christ-like about that phrase, to bear one another's burdens. Coming alongside each other in love and understanding what we're going through and helping each other is just a beautiful thing that very much models Christ to each other. It could look a lot like a lot of different things. Helping each other financially, materially. It could look like walking through sin with someone. It could look like walking through difficult times, through sorrow, through grief. It could look like walking through joy with each other. It could just look like a lot of different things. But what Paul basically says is that it's just another way of Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Scripture is full of those one another passages that we see, like Romans 12 is a great example there, where Paul just lists through a gigantic list of the way that we are supposed to operate and act toward each other, these one another's. And that's really just this bearing each other's burdens, loving each other well, walking with each other. And that requires that humility and sacrificial love that Jesus calls us to. And then the third thing is seeing each other as family. Paul sums all this up in the last verse that we read when he refers to us as the household of faith. Community is family. The New Testament is littered with references to believers that are as a new kind of family including this one. We are a household centered around faith in Jesus Christ. You heard Craig talk about our church as a family. That's, that's lingo that is pretty often used in church. But we need to see that community actually is family. Jesus himself instituted that family in Mark chapter 3, which is a passage that we'll be studying soon when we're done with the vision series. Starting in verse 31, he says, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus has a blood family, and he's not diminishing that relationship. He's not saying that that relationship doesn't exist. But he's establishing this new family, that his disciples are his family. We're supposed to care for each other as family. That's what bearing each other's burdens means. That's what being open and honest and invitation to speak into each other's lives means. It's what Paul says community is. So, I want to talk about how we do this practically here at Red Tree. Like I said earlier, in Matthew 28, Jesus gave his disciples this command that has just resonated throughout the centuries and resulted in each one of us sitting here. He said that his disciples were to go and make more disciples. Christian community is the outpouring of that command. It's the love that springs up as disciples make more disciples and gather together. And here at Red Tree, 
we see a couple of different types of discipleship modeled by Christ and his followers and throughout the New Testament. And we strive to hopefully operate in all three of them. So I just want to run down these three real quick. Each one of these things will form Christian community around it in varying degrees. So we see one form of discipleship is often called as Pauline discipleship. It's a mentorship. It's discipleship where a more mature believer grabs a less mature believer and pours into them, helps them along, calls them to follow me as I follow Christ. It's usually done one-on-one or in small groups. And that's the, it's just a very practical kind of discipleship. It's the kind of discipleship that if you were here a while back when we were going through Titus that Jeff spoke about, this relational discipleship of a mature believer discipling a younger believer. We hope and encourage this kind of discipleship here at Red Tree. We do it through gospel communities, through relationships that form, through uh, just relational discipleship that forms throughout uh, relationships here, and as well as things like marriage discipleship, we do that, and accountability discipleship. So that is one form of discipleship. Another one is a classroom setting, a teacher-student discipleship. We see Jesus model that a lot. He sits down and teaches people. A person with training or knowledge in a specific area in the church should be training others, should be teaching others. It's very much a classroom setting, and we hope to model that. We've done various forms of this throughout Red Tree's history uh, through discipleship classes, and um, you know, the most recent form has been a phase discipleship, where we take people through different phases that focus on different areas of being a Christian. So as part of ensuring that that discipleship is happening, I want to make sure you guys know, we are launching a new phase one discipleship class starting in February. This is going to be a co-ed class. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. I would encourage you, if you haven't been through our phase one, that you sign up for it. Uh, it's going to start on February 18th, that's a Sunday. The primary focus of our phase one discipleship class is just gospel fluency. It's making sure that we are fluent in the gospel, that we understand how the gospel interacts with us. That, like Justin said earlier, that we understand that the gospel is not just a stale old thing that happened a long time ago, but that it's living and alive and active and moving us. And that we need to understand it and be fluent in how it works. Then we also, in that phase one, look at biblical masculinity and femininity. And that, I think, will be really cool to do as a co-ed group. The third uh, way that we do this, we see discipleship work out in Scripture, is peer discipleship. It's best modeled by the apostles following Christ. They came together, shoulder to shoulder, and followed after Christ together. That The way that we practice that peer discipleship is gospel community. Our gospel community communities are striving to be families, to love each other like Christ commands, to do these different community aspects that we talked about, to love sacrificially, to be open and have an honest invitation to love each other and speak into each other's lives, to practice confession, repentance, rebuke, to care for each other, to bear one another's burdens, to see each other as family. That's what we see our gospel communities as. Obviously, none of them are perfect. None of them are going to 
be this amazing, ideal, perfect family that you're going to walk into and feel immediately perfectly loved. But we are striving for true community. We're striving to do what Jesus says we are supposed to. Now because of what we see our gospel communities as, there are things that they're not. They're not Bible studies. They're not accountability groups. They're not missional groups. They aren't affinity groups. They do some of the same things as those kind of groups do, but we see ourselves as a family practicing Christian community. To be honest, if you aren't in a gospel community, you're not going to get what you want from this church. What is not centered around anything other than gospel community? Aside from Christ, obviously, but it's built on that. So, um, I would really encourage you, if you're not in a gospel community, to get in one. We're going to uh, do something cool, I think, this morning. We're going to have all the gospel community leaders at the end come up. So if you have any questions, if you want to meet the gospel community leaders, if you want to just get involved, come up after the gathering and talk to somebody. Talk to one of the community leaders. We also have um, cards out on the, in the lobby on the tables that list all of our gospel communities that tell you the nights, the addresses, just everything that every information that you need to get plugged in, to get involved in the gospel community. We really encourage you guys to plug in, to come and meet us, even if you just have questions. Come and meet the gospel community leaders after we gather. Alright, so I've already spent way more time than I was supposed to, but we were created to be in community. God created us in his image. And God is a God who eternally has existed in community. He is a God who created us in his image to exist in community. He saved us to redeem us into community. To be able to love each other like Jesus loves. To love each other sacrificially and humbly. Jesus modeled that kind of love for us. And he calls us to follow him in that. The kind of community that Jesus modeled requires open and transparent invitation to speak into each other's lives. It requires dependency on Christ. It requires us to bear one another's burdens. And it's extremely life-giving. 